John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 1075.mk0728, certificate number 53229. Riot Dogs. I want to say at the top, none of the dogs named in this entry will come to a violent end. Oh, that's a wonderful sort of advance. It's like an anti-trigger warning. One thing I've noticed about the internet is people are very concerned about uh, m- movies where animals come to harm. Yep, I I understand that. There's, I think there's a site where you can look up and see, hey, does this movie have any violence towards animals? I cannot watch movies where children are hurt. I used to not care. You know, before I had a kid, I'd watch a movie. You'd throw a thousand kids into a furnace. I didn't care. And, this has, and these are like actual actual documentary hurt to kids? or uh, No, even fictional movies. I feel like it is simulated. It's a lazy way to get the audience in a lot of movies or, you know, it's a lazy way to get you to care about the plot. Like, oh, a child is kidnapped or hurt or scared or... And I, I, I have very little patience for it. If it doesn't really, really advance the plot, if it's, if it's at all gratuitous. It works in politics too. You know, 90% of all politics is now like. They're, but, they're but, hurting but, the children. But the children are in trouble yeah. somewhere. I mean, the children are our future. Yes. I don't actually care about them, except for my own. And by extension, yours a little and some other friends. So you want a Noah's Ark of maybe nine to 15 kids. Yeah, that that would be fine, but uh, you know, one kid, w- one set of kids who aren't related to each other from from all the world's peoples. But the so maybe you want the it's a small world ride. I want the it's a small world ride. A child in festive folk dress from all the continents. Two children from from all the continents, and then they have a kind of blue lagoon sort of teen sex awakening. But they don't couple with each other. They couple with you know they don't the two kids from Indonesia don't have a baby, the kid, one kid from Indonesia and one kid from Iceland. This is getting into a weird area. And pretty I don't think soon the kids everybody that, is just mochaccino colored and, and all the... The kids on It's a Small World are not old enough to have kids. No, no, no. Later, later. Because they live in ha- they live in a utopia of Years pre-puberty where it's sort of like beyond Thunderdome 
except there's no wrecked aircraft. I'm interested in whatever what the psychological roots are of this. I think a fairly new phenomenon of people being unable to watch a movie where a horse gets shot out from under a cavalry officer. But they can see millions of people machine gunned. Right, and but, but 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 you know, but we've seen 50 cavalry officers die in the same scene. And I'm not sure is the idea that the cavalry officers had it coming <laughs> like they were they knew what they were getting into, but the poor horses. I get into trouble for I honestly think that might be the root of it. What? That humans deserve it? Well, no, just that the animals don't know, you know? Yes, there was a scene where a car blew up, but I care more about the dog than the people because, you know, the dog had had no idea. It's, there's something, there's pathos to that. The dog couldn't understand the forces at work. Yeah, I forget who said it, but uh, but the, the few times that I have quoted this person that I forget... Uh, you got yelled at. I get yelled at. Well, name them so they get yelled at instead. But uh, but oh, you know what it is? It might be it might be something that um, that I got from watching The Sopranos. I feel like Doctor Melfi at one point says to Tony Soprano that sociopaths are often very concerned with animals and children. What is like, that true? Like they're well, I mean, I talked to Doctor Melfi. I thought serial killers were like cut up animals. Well. Right, but there's also it's also like a, a smaller group. It's a sign where you cannot empathize with humans, but you really like put all your emotions into animals and children. Wow. Uh because you can't handle like other adult humans. But the few times I've ever again I guess it's quoting Sopranos which I do deserve to get knocked down for. Well, I mean, you don't want to imply that as a result, all ani- just because all, all so- animal lovers and just because all sociopaths are-, are animal lovers does not mean that all animal <laughs> lovers are sociopaths. This is a classic Greek yeah. logic problem. You're you're 100 right. So if you're listening to this and you're an animal lover, you're you're clearly one of the good ones, right? And also, what you're saying, this is all a roundabout way of saying that no animals are harmed in this episode of Omnibus, right? Except by implication, I guess they are because this is an episode about. About street dogs, free range urban dogs or fruds, as I've decided to call mm-hmm. them. Uh, Are humans harmed in this episode? <laughs> the large, the large population of stray or abandoned or sometimes feral dog populations that exist in cities all over the world. Now you have traveled in uh, extensively uh, and have seen street dogs, mm-hmm. as have I. And my sense, at least, of the street dogs I've encountered is they're kind of living the life of Riley. Yes. They don't have any responsibility. I mean, some of them have tumors, but well, they, they sit around all day. One thing to understand about street dogs is they've, they're fitting an ecological niche, which means there's a pretty good life for them. They're um, eating garbage. They, they lay in the sun. I mean, look, we would all like them to have vaccines and pets and no lice. I'm not saying this is that it's ideal to have hundreds of thousands of dogs on the streets of large cities. Do you know people who have adopted dogs from South or Central America? I do. I, well, I, I know that it's available. I'm trying to, I don't think I have any close friends that have, but it's definitely a thing where there's enough rescue dog shortages in certain parts of the country, like Seattle, that you have to look elsewhere. I know six different people, close friends who have not rescued a dog, Actually brought a dog back with them. Oh, bro. They, they saw it on vacation and their heart melted. Yeah. They're, they're sitting in Mexico and this dog comes by and they fed it some cheese. And then the next day it was there again and they fed it some cheese. Uh, aren't there like legal obstacles to bringing? By day four, they have taken the dog to a veterinarian 
and they've started the process of getting its shots and its tumors taken care of. And, you know, and six months later or whatever, six weeks later, the dog arrives fully, fully vaccinated and dewormed and begins its new life living a completely outrageously pampered life in Seattle, America, where it's fed kibbles and sleeps on the bed. Uh, well, I mean, the good thing about you knowing a few of these stories is apparently there's hope for these dogs. You know, that they're not, they're, their upbringing doesn't lead to a lifetime of trauma, that they can settle into a life as a, as a coddled lap dog. Now, you've also seen street dogs be mistreated in these places, surely, because I have. Yeah. By the locals. The shopkeeper that does not want the dog out front or... Hits it with a broom. And or, it goes both ways. I mean, these dogs are... A lot of the, the social problems with these dogs revolve around violent incidents that begin with the dogs. People get bit um, a lot. I mean, Romania, for example, is a, a country where this has really been a flashpoint, where there's you know something like the, on the order of twelve to 15,000 dog bites every year. So I was attacked by dogs in Romania. Yeah, so Bucharest has a huge, and the other big cities have big street dog problems. These were not street dogs. They were feral dogs that were living Wait, wild. What's the difference? Oh, they're out in the country. They're in the country. They're so, road dogs, not street dogs. Yeah, road Lane dogs. dogs. And it was a, it was, I was in a village. I had, uh, I was headed out across a field, you know, the, across the country. I was going over a, a, some low hills. And as I was leaving the village, a, uh, a farmer came over to me, you know, stopped me on the trail and said, hey, and handed me a stick and said, you know, you need to take this walking stick with you. And I was like, thank you. I, you know, I've tried to have a walking stick, but it doesn't really work for me rhythmically. And he was like, <laughs> no, no, no. And he, he made the Romanian sound for dog, which, you know, barking dog, which was hum, 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 hum. Romanian dogs say hum? They say hum. No wonder they're always running off. And he made a little sign, you know, a hand with his sign to say like, you know, dog, fierce dog. Mm -hmm. And I was like, ha ha. You know, at this point I'd been, did I tell you I'd walked across Europe? This is a story from that. I'd been walking for months and I was like, yeah, yeah, Without yeah. A stick. Dogs, sticks. I get it. I get it. And I walked with this stick until I was over the hill and out of this guy's sight. And then I threw the stick down uh, and walked for another couple of miles. And then I'm walking through this, this sort of open country on top of a ridge. And way off in the distance, I see this head pop up out of the grass and it's, a dog, you know, and, and it's that kind of feral dog. Look, it kind of looks like a shepherd, but yeah, it's a little of everything. I see the head pop up and I can see it, you know, in the distance. And I'm like, uh Oh, it was just like an, it had a very, uh Oh feeling. And then one, two, three, four, five, six more heads pop up. Prairie dogs, but literal dogs and their dogs. And I was like, Oh, this is bad. And then they came and circled me and tried to get me down on the ground. Well, I mean, if that's their behavior, that's a pack that has had luck yeah. with people-sized people. And it was terrifying, and it was awful. Wow. And I, and I, I know we promised that this episode had no— uh, We did not promise it would not have violence against indie rockers. No, no, no dogs came to harm. In this case, you know, I had to, I had to fight these dogs, with, and, and I had the advantage, the human advantage, of knowing uh, how to throw rocks. And so, and they knew about rocks because when I started picking up rocks, they 
adjusted their tactic. Do you think it's territorial? Like, were they just trying to keep you out of their ground? Because it can't be that they just bring down a person every week and eat and eat like kings. No, I don't think they were trying to eat me. I think it was territorial because I I kept moving, and they kept circling me and 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 you know launching attacks and working as a team. Hey, were they playing this music from Star Trek? No, there was no music. There was only me going, Rarg! Rarg! I was making as many Rarg sounds as I could. And they were saying hom hom. And they were going hom hom hom. And I just kept trying to move and circle. They were circling me and I was circling around and picking up every rock I could find and hurling rocks. And and uh, and eventually I moved in such a way that they... You know that... You were off their, tr- uh, off their property? It took a while because they would... They would They'd hang back and then they would launch another attack and, They're you know, tricky. and I'd feel like I was, we had reached an accommodation and I was like, okay, goodbye. And then, yeah, then something would spark it again and they'd come at, back after me. But eventually I got, well, the proof's in the pudding. You're here today. Here I am. I mean, rural Romania is vampire company, country too. So you were possibly worried about these being the hellhounds of Dracula. At night, I was worried about vampires. During the day, it was dogs. And then in the twilight, it was boars. Oh, and bears. Romania's got it all, really. Do you think they- Highly the, recommend. Is it all the same? Like when the sun starts to set, the dogs turn into boars and bears. And then when it's fully down, they, they turn into vampires? You never know. There were bats too. Werebears. It could have been. A, it, maybe it's the cycle of life in Romania. Romania is a place where this has been a flashpoint recently because of some high-profile deaths over the last decade. At the hand of dogs? Yeah. Bite, biting and, I mean, rabies spreads in, in countries where this is, a, or in cities and regions where this is a problem. And in this case, it was a, I think it was a four-year-old, maybe a kid, and maybe a, like a, not a Romanian kid, like maybe a tourist, mm. a tourist had a kid, um, you know, mauled by dogs. Mm. And at that point, they passed some really... Um, draconian euthanasia laws. It's tricky because there's not a lot of solutions for for um, for these dog population problems when these populations get big, and they're big. You know, Moscow has about fifty thousand stray dogs. Whoa. Bangkok might have as many as a hundred thousand. A city like Tangier might have thirty thousand. I've met uh, the the dogs in Tangiers, and they are very gentle. They're chill. Also, the ones in uh, Santiago. I had a wonderful day with some stray dogs in Chile? Santiago. Mm-hmm. We're actually going to get to the dogs of Santiago. Uh, Czech Republic, a story. lot of sketchy dogs there that all seemed very nice. It was just the Romanian dogs I had problems with. Huh. And I'm validated. On the one hand, I don't want any tourist kids to be mauled. But on the other hand, I, I, I've struggled over the years to convey how uh, dangerous they felt and how much I felt my life was threatened. Well, 16,000 bites a year is not nothing. And, you know, rabies running amok as well. Um, I don't want to act like this is a developing world problem. There are about 200 million stray dogs in the United States. The city of Houston has a million dogs. What? And that's not a, and that's not a, a problem a municipality can solve. When did you last see a stray dog? There are zero stray dogs in Seattle. Well, Seattle, we're a stray dog importer. You know, we have to get stray dogs from shelters in Houston to fulfill our need to rescue dogs and start feeding them people food. You're saying that in Houston, there are just dogs roaming around? There are one million dogs. That does not... 
I do. I have not had that experience in Houston of seeing one million stray dogs. I there. wonder if we're not in the right parts of Houston. Um, you know, and they and they probably keep a. Uh, They're not on the Space Center campus. I can tell you that these numbers are from Bark B A R C, the city's largest pet shelter, or maybe maybe the municipal animal shelter division. Uh, and a lot of it, I think, is the result of recent hurricanes. You know, dogs get oh. dogs head out of floodwatered areas and wind up where there's shelters, which tend to be cities. You know, it's the same reason why cities get unhoused populations of people. So 200 million dogs in the U.S. alone. And, you know, the, the causes of this differ in different places. Um, a lot of it is just a rise a, a, in our culture, a rising pet population. I'm seeing that there are 200 million stray dogs in the world, but 70 million stray animals in America, including cats. Oh, I see that too. And two, But 200 might be a low estimate worldwide. It looks like it might be as high as... 600 million. I bet you they weren't counting those ones I met in Romania. Because that's, <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's famous. Oh, it was, I mean, that farmer knew about them. You can, but he might not have an accurate count. No. He might be uh, somewhere between eight and 30, you know? And yeah. It, <laughs> and that's, and that, that kind of error multiplies. I mean, if you ask a farmer in Romania how far it is to the next village, he's going to say between eight and 30 kilometers. Uh, that's very interesting. Some of these dogs start their lives as pet dogs or offsprings of pets, and a growing pet population unfortunately means a growing stray dog population because not every new pet owner is a responsible pet I would, owner. I wouldn't have thought that. I would have thought stray dogs were the product of stray dogs meeting other stray dogs coming through the rye. That's often true. Uh, but the pet population's on the rise. You know, Typically, it's about 1% to 2% a year. In 2020, the beginning of the pandemic, the U.S. pet population went up 7%. And those are a lot of people who were not ready to have dogs. Oh, they I were think. just bored and pandemic, lonely. Pandemic dogs. Um, do people still like just kick the dog out when they can't care for it and the dog just wanders off? I think that probably happens because not all people are nice. I think some people might take the dog to a shelter, but that just increases, you know, the, the, the shelter thing doesn't scale, especially if it's a, you know, no kill shelter. You, you just cannot find if there's, you know, if Houston has a million stray dogs, you just can't find enough households. For, you know, Houston probably has about that many households, right? <laughs> like there's, you know, you, you can't fix it by adopting all those dogs. But on the other hand, you know, we don't like to think about euthanasia in shelters. We prefer to have shelters that don't put dogs down. Um, well, some of us, hippies, do. <laughs> soft-hearted hippies. <laughs> I mean, the other solution besides euthanasia would be TNR, trap, neuter, and release. Right. And it, as you point out, if you do that often enough, eventually... You don't get new stray dogs because a lot of them are, are, you know, feral litters born in the wild, never had an owner. But that's the kind of thing that gets, you know, it's extremely hard to do. The logistics of it are hard. It's the kind of thing that often does not get priority in municipal budgets. So whatever money should have gone to trapping, neutering, and releasing stray dogs doesn't. It's a pretty, it's a pretty industrial process. Do you, you're going to know the answer to this, but are dogs able to... I mean, I know they thrive within cities because there's just a lot of food scrappage, there's, but are, are wild dogs in the woods able to cobble together a living out of out of eating pigeon eggs and sure. whatnot? I mean, they're the descendants of packs of wolves and wild dogs that, that could do that anywhere. But like little yappy purse dogs, how are they going to survive in the 
in the woods. No, I think those are the, not the kind you're most likely to see in the woods. Those those don't last long or they find a city. Um, but you're, you're right in that the reason why you tend to see them in cities is because that's where the food is. That's where the garbage is. That's where the rats are that they eat. And honestly, cities kind of benefit from somebody eating their garbage and keeping down the rat population, stray right. dogs and cats. Um, in India, in fact, the stray dog population is exploding. India might have as many as 30 million stray dogs alone because of a drug that was given to cattle for many years called diclofenac. I don't know if I'm reading that right, which is harmless to the cow and I guess prevents infections in cows. But it gives dogs boners. <laughs> we want to give dogs bones. That's that's a common mistake. No, the problem is you're going to follow the bouncing ball here. Okay. When vultures feed on cows, the diclofenac gives the vultures boners. kidney problems. No. Kidney problem. Okay. Uh, and when vultures have kidney problems, they die. And as a result, some of the most, um, what used to be healthy, widespread vulture populations in South Asia are now almost wiped out because of all the stuff in the animal carcasses they eat. This is uh, this is the Silent Spring problem, except through- Except the- in vultures. <laughs> With vultures and cows. With vultures instead of bird eggs. And as a result, when vulture populations die out, suddenly you've just got nature has a surplus of carrion. Nature and, is not healing. And nature abhors a surplus of carrion. It does. And it produces feral dog populations that will uh, that will eat it. Dogs are the vultures of India. Dogs are now the vultures of India, and not by choice. Whoa. Indians didn't want it. Dogs didn't want it. Vultures didn't want it. Vultures sure didn't want it. Cows had, didn't want it. Vultures preferred to have functioning kidneys, but we gave all the cows diclofenac. Wait, why are we giving the cows diclofenac? It's an anti-inflammatory. Well, so you know what the solution is? Cow, cow waterbeds. We've talked about this on Omnibus. <laughs> the USAID needs to send cow waterbeds to India, and then they can stop giving cows arthritis medicine. The cows will still have the arthritis and the joint aches, but they'll be so happy in their luxurious waterbeds. They'll be laying on their warm, warm waterbeds, and then the vulture population will rebound. But, you know, imagine a vulture trying to eat a cow, a dead cow on a waterbed. You're going to get a lot of leaky waterbeds. So imagine we a vulture eating a dead cow on a waterbed. That's one of the one of it. It's an instance of a phrase that has never been spoken if before. If you give today. that example on a, if you give that answer on a Rorschach test, you will immediately be thrown into prison, <laughs> or you'll get a job at Google. This is a vulture eating a dead cow on a waterbed. All right, you are the Riddler. It turns out, and you are never coming out of Arkham Asylum. Um. So you've got all these kind of ecological pressures like that that are causing dog populations to spike above and beyond just humans centering in, in cities without well-funded uh, sanitation infrastructures. But again, you know, Houston's got apparently 10 times as many stray dogs as Bangkok. So we can't pretend this is some problem that the developing world has figured out. I'm really having a hard time picturing 1 million stray dogs in Houston, but that's because they're all in the same uh, junkyard. Like the the sun goes down and all the eyes just pop out like boop, 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 like in a cartoon. And of, and of course, there's one cat trying to eat a fish head out of a garbage can. Right. And then all the dogs come like in a Sylvester and Tweety cartoon. So in a world, and you know, this has been going on for a long time. Moscow has a famous population of stray dogs uh, that's, you know, Chekhov wrote about 100, 150 years ago. Right. You know, there's a tradition of, of these cities respecting and having a, an uneasy truce with their dog populations. In Moscow, 
uh, it's not uncommon to see stray dogs commuting to work on the sub on the subway. <laughs> they'll, they'll just hop trains and, and go get to the place during the day where they get, you know, where the good garbage is. And then at night they'll hop a train back to their, to their alleys. So what did we do? Like in New York, there are no stray dogs in Seattle. There are no stray dogs. What did we do? There must have been stray dogs. When I was a kid, there were stray dogs all over the place. I think we just menu gen- generated enough hipsters that did not want to have kids. Uh-huh. And they, then they adopted they had, all the They dogs. adopted all their, oh, they've got their fur babies, John. They've got fur children. Yeah, I know they do. Well, one of the things we did is stop setting our pets loose, right? There was a, a lot and we, of- Yes, and we started spaying and neutering them. You right. know, we, places like New York and Seattle tend to have, by the numbers, well-educated uh, uh Pet owners. The first thing you do when your pet is of age is have them neutered. Because we all watch The Price is Right. Right. And we know what you're Bob supposed to Barker do. Bob Barker tells you what to do. But that's, I think that's less of a tradition in rural areas, less right. educated areas, you know, areas well, with yeah, d- different culture around pet ownership. Rural areas, you know, those American dogs got to have their freedoms, Ken. <laughs> and there might be elements of, oh, and we want puppies. You know, right. like if we, of course we can't neuter our dog. We want to have a litter every year. You know what it's like when you meet somebody that's got a dog and it's not neutered. I don't know what that's like. Oh, well, depending on the dog, it can be, it can be pretty uh, I mean, impressive. Even, even neutered dogs will hump your leg. No, no, no. I'm talking it, about that's like. That's an old proverb. Even a neutered dog even, will hump your leg. <laughs> it, it, it loses something when, when you translate it from the French. Yeah. In Arabic, it's beautiful. Yeah. But, um, but no, when you meet a, like a, uh, like a pit bull or a rottweiler that's not neutered boy you sure can tell the difference because they have the the tendency toward aggression that well comes with they that. have enormous heads they're just very different you know the 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 hormones change their bodies oh i wouldn't have thought i had yeah. no idea or at least maybe maybe i'm making that up maybe there's there's a, a futureling that's a veterinarian that's going no that's not how it is you just they just seem bigger because they they're, they're trying to they're trying to Eat your you and your bindle as yeah, you cross Romania. Yeah, they're not trying to hump you. They're looking at you like you're a prey. But this being the internet age, we are now living in a time for the first time of celebrity street dogs. The thing in ages past, the defining characteristic of street dog was their anonymity. I thought it was the tumors. They kind of and their tumors. <laughs> well, I mean that's why they kind of they 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 knew that they were not. Yeah. Uh, you know, pretty lap dogs. They were not interested in that kind of relationship with people. Well, when they, dog- they, they tend to skulk. When dogs breed outside of human intervention, they all kind of return to ur dog, right? Don't they? Right. They all end up kind, kind of looking of a, a, a beige mongrel that has all ear. the yes. And if you look at pictures of the four dogs we're about to meet by name in this entry, you will recognize characteristics of the ur dog, the the kind of colorless, you know, the color we are as as middle aged tan people. Yeah, you know that kind of honey color that all dogs become. The, the, the Ethiopian dog, the floppy ears. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What, what's the, 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 that breed has a name? Yeah, right? yeah. It's uh, Ethiopian dog. Ethiopian dog, I think. Uh, but these are dogs that have come to the attention of the of the locals, and then to the media, and then to the internet. Wait, are these Instagram dogs? These are uh, activist dogs. Hmm. These are the dogs of protest. The dogs of of uh, uprising against power, which is appropriate, because you know if anybody can identify with being marginalized, living on the fringes of society, being frustrated with a 
with fraying social contracts and safety nets, um, street dogs are a pretty good symbol for all of this. Interesting. The story of celebrity uh, dogs of the left, you might say. <laughs> ah! <laughs> These are dogs that are almost almost universally compatible with Marxism. Okay. This story starts in Athens in 2008. Georgia or Athens, Greece? <laughs> it's a house party in Athens, Georgia, where without warning, Pylon begins to play. Whoa, Mitch Easter shows up and he's got seven dogs. Wait, I thought this was going to be, be a B-52s cover band, but this is actually two original B-52s. No, this is in Athens, Greece, which has been the the center of a lot of urban protests. Oh my God, and so many street dogs in Athens, Greece. That is correct. Uh, in 2008, I had forgotten this wave of Greek riots, but... Uh, <laughs> you know what? I've forgotten more waves of Greek riots than you've had hot dinners. I mean, I was kind of assuming this would be the austerity riots, but no, those are like 2011. Three years before... Oh my God. If you put If you put Athens into Google, the first thing that shows up before even the wiki Athens capital of Greece is Athens dog shelter. Wait, really? It's the first thing that came up. Do you think that could be context? Were you just Googling about dogs in that oh, in that window? Oh, I was. Because I think that's what happens. Oh, that's so weird. That's pr- the predictive text of the universe. I put in Athens, I put in uh, Ethiopian dog, and then the next thing I said, Athens, and they were like, dog shelter? And to Google, that's genius. Well, of course we want to continue the line of search you've been doing. How convenient. Yeah. Would you like to go to a, a dog shelter in Athens, Georgia? No. You need to go to DuckDuckGo, the uh, browser that knows nothing about you and doesn't care. Doesn't care to. Uh, it's more like a cat. Google's the eager to please dog browser that's like, oh, 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 dog shelters in Athens? <laughs> Duck, <laughs> Duck, DuckDuckGo is like a cat that's like, I'm going to tell you the same thing no matter what. Do you Wait a minute. Do you use DuckDuckGo? No. <laughs> I have already given all my information to the cloud and the government and Jeff Bezos. Okay. He knows, they all know everything. They're talking about me right now, probably. Yeah. Like you could, um, you know, you could reverse engineer probably half the things I will think today based on my profile owned by six tech companies. But I, w- uh, we have friends that use DuckDuckGo. Did you know George Meyer will uh, only will only search things in DuckDuckGo? Really? Uh, that's consistent. With, it is. Yeah. He, he doesn't want the man consistent to know what he's George. searching. So, because he comes from a time, like, I think he's being a little older than me. I think he's from a time when he actually had some expectation of privacy <laughs> in in the public sphere, you know? And you and I are like, oh, that's so Aren't naive. you cute? I would, like, I would like to give all my pictures to the internet for free. I think Zuckerberg should have them all. Well, I mean, last time I saw him, he was listening to his Zune. Mm. Ken, we're often in a situation where our small business, Omnibus LLC, needs to send a check. Specifically to me, and um, we're in and, that situation roughly once a month. Once a month, and uh, and it, we've had a surprisingly difficult time uh, systematizing our small business checking. A lot of banks don't cater to small businesses because that's not where the business checking value is for them. So if you're a small business, you you're kind of competing in a space and dealing with products built for maximizing much bigger businesses. In our situation, it seems like while you and Mindy could just put a bunch of cash in an envelope and you could hand it to me. A big briefcase full of 20s? You really like to send checks. And and boy, I like getting checks. Don't don't get me wrong. I got to say, a real casualty of the pandemic for me is people 
not wanting to send personal checks because nobody's in the office to oh right to, to sign and mail them you right know? so i started getting virtual payments and it's just not as fun as the occasional freelancer check in the old mailbox yeah i'm walking old... out there like charlie brown every day <laughs> no valentines no valentines again well let me tell you about a new option for small business checking please do it's called Novo, N-O-V-O. They've built a new kind of business checking uh, that specializes in small business checking. Wow. That mm -hmm. would mean, for me, that would mean no minimum balances, no transaction limits, no hidden fees. Well, Novo is here for you, my friend. You're exactly right. Unlike the traditional banking model, instead of a one-size-fits-all approach, Novo is customized to your business to save you time and free up cash flow, which we could use here at Omnibus LLC. That's perfect. Would it integrate with like Stripe or Shopify or QuickBooks Online? <laughs> and more. Would it do that seamlessly or seem fully? <laughs> no, it would be without seams. That's, seamless. That's what I want because this is not a Mac Weldon ad. No. We no, want no. seamless integration. Seamless. I don't know how waterproof Novo is, but they are seamless. And now... Omnibus listeners can sign up for free and join the community of over 150,000 fearless small businesses who found the customizable business checking solution. To sign up for your free business checking account right now at novo.co slash omnibus. Plus, Omnibus listeners will get access to over $5,000 in perks and discounts. Go to novo.co, that's not .com, leave the M off, .co, which is the URL for the state of Colorado? Yes, I'm sure that's what it is. Novo.co slash omnibus to sign up for free. Novo.co slash omnibus. Novo Platform Inc. is a fintech, not a bank. Banking services provided by Middlesex Federal Savings FA, member FDIC. Terms and conditions apply. So in 2008, there was a wave of protests in Greece that tragically enough started with a 15-year-old dying in police custody. 2003. 2008. 2008. Eight and three, they look the same. You've got to finish the three and you'll get an eight. My synesthesia always. Uh, this happened in central Athens. And as a result, um, you know, it's just as it would happen in America, that leads to... And of course, Athens is already, you know, young Athens is already kind of a powder keg of a generation realizing that it has less opportunity than its parents, that things are looking worse and not better. There, that, this was part of that. Uh, the Greeks had all that debt to Europe. Well, this is, that's coming up, but their, oh. their economy is already um, struggling. And as a result, there's not a lot of opportunity or employment for young people. It's the kind of situation that leads to a a Watts riot or something where you can point to the Pacific, the, the specific Pacific. You yeah. can point to this in Pacific, the, you know, LA is on say. the Pacific. You can point to the specific act of, of the specific law enforcement misdeed that kicks it off. Right. But, but it's really about student it, loans and and high rent. Yeah. I mean, it's really just about years of, of lack of opportunity and, and you know, the kind of grievance that comes with that. Anyway. It's hard for the Greeks to be mad about colonialism. <laughs> well, when you invent democracy, you invent all the things that came after that, you know? You invent all the bad side effects of Western civilization, too. So the Greeks are really to blame for all of it. Yeah, no, it's all on their shoulders. And as a result, students start to rise up. You get familiar stories in the paper of universities becoming centers 
of protest. You get, um, uh, you know, the riot police in the streets wearing stormtrooper looking uniforms, spraying people with hoses while uh, young people shake chant. their fists and chant and rhyming things in Greek. Set cars on fire. And shout about how, uh, you know, it's not too late to make a better world. Um, why are we cutting this, this, and that and killing poor Alexandros Grigoropoulos? Journalists covering these protests start to notice something interesting, which is the same dog is starting to appear in all the pictures. And as you've pointed out, street dogs often do kind of converge on the same appearance. But that's racist. <laughs> it's a little bit racist. Uh, and in fact, journalists who are uh, following the story will confirm that, yeah, this is in fact the same dog. Like all over town or are the protests just happening in the same square and the dog lives there? It starts out being localized. This turns out to be a dog called Canelos or cinnamon. He's kind of cinnamon colored, like often these dogs are, we've said, um, who often was a, who was a fixture at the National Technical University of Athens. It's not unusual in street dog cultures for the university to be a place where you've got a lot of young, tender-hearted people who will feed a friendly dog. Sure. So this tends to be a place where the better human-conditioned street dogs wind up and end up eating delicious stuffed grape leaves uh, all day. Uh, all the hummus you can eat. And uh, around 2007, um, Canelos was well enough known that the university actually hired a dog catcher you know, to get rid of this nuisance. Oh, just the one dog. The, they said, we, get, we need to get Canelos out of here. I mean, I think he was the one that was skulking less and had more of a public profile because everyone was feeding him and loving on him. Uh -huh. um, and he was popular enough that the students actually submitted a petition and got hundreds of students to petition the university to bring back Canelos. He's, you know, he's lived here a long time. This is actually his home. It's, sure. it's equi morally equivalent to an eviction. They're just trying to avoid doing their homework. As is true of students everywhere. But the university agreed and some students agreed to become uh, kind of guardians of, of Canelos and watch over him. Now, in these clips, including video clips, you can see that Canelos is marching with these students that he identifies with who feed him and like him. And, you know, at, at first he's not marching. You know, he's no, he does. He starts out like he starts out like um, like Jem and Scout. He doesn't have a social conscience. Yeah, he's a dog. He's uh, he's going in and out. Probably. He's just chilling. Yeah. But then just like Jem and Scout, the world starts to intrude upon Canelos's simple view of humanity. And he starts to see the students he loves get tear gassed or sprayed oh. with hoses. And this radicalizes Canelos. <laughs> He's like, wait, now I've got my pack, the nice kids that give me... Um, grape leaves. That give me grape leaves and pita. And then we got these guys wearing the black masks that are, that are wailing on them. Pretty clear that you can tell the good humans from the bad humans. Canelos becomes anti-cop. He will buy... By you know, he will start to bark and snarl at anybody he sees in a police uniform. He will patrol the lines between the protesters and the cops as a dog would protecting its pack on on duty. And Whoa. so it's very easy for journalists to get pictures of him leading marches, you know, because he's the one making himself the barricade between the police and the protesters. He will lie down in the street in front of cops, you know, which yeah, 
kind of borrows from the language of, of demonstrations and sit-ins. Right. But it's just him kind of casting a wary eye on on the, the threat to the pack. And what's interesting is in Greece and Italy, there are, I mean, one in every three adult people is a cop, right? There are like 17 different kinds of cops. And the other two are like out of work marchers, probably. <laughs> this is the only two right. kind of people cops there and are. Anarchists. In, in it's the Mediterranean. all you have. Um, he had lived for 10 years and uh, was getting to be an older dog around this time. So, as the as the universe is starting to notice Canelos, you know, and there start to be photo essays on him in uh, on in, you know uh, social media, and from then on into the Guardian or whatever, uh-huh. um, Canelos is getting old enough that he's not getting around as well as he used to. The students get uh, band together, get their money together, and buy him one of those cute doggy hind leg wheelchairs. What? Um, have you ever seen a dog that's walking on oh, its front legs but rolling yeah. on its back? Oh, for sure. Oh, we love these dogs. <laughs> There's we? one in the neighborhood here. Uh, but and, you're telling me that this is a street dog that has his own wheelchair. Yes, which is a little bit rare. And, you know, at this point, he's probably a pretty quasi-street dog. He's hanging out in front of the student union, right. eating cafe food all day, and probably, you know, getting brought into somebody's uh, dorm at night. Yeah. Um, but he continued to walk and roll with protesters and until he passed away uh, uh, at the ripe old age of something past 10, which is pretty good for an Athens street dog, in July of 2008. Are there pictures of him leading protests in his doggy wheelchair? I see one of him walking with a group of marchers in his doggy wheelchair. So, you know, I don't know if he's still braving the front lines with uh, or, or uh, snarling at cops. But you can find him running alongside protesters and then rolling in their midst. And do you think uh, his presence inhibited the police? Well, that's what I'm thinking. Like, what an asset for uh, for uh, nonviolent demonstrators, right? Yeah, like a like a like a riot police person might be prepared to billy club some. Some some college student. Yeah, some like uh, dread-headed anarchist, but they don't want to be bonking a dog, and they certainly don't want their picture in the newspaper bonking a dog. I mean, there's both things, right? You've got the natural human love of animals, but also, yeah, how bad would this look? Although cops, historically, mm. seem untroubled by how bad would this look. <laughs> um yeah, Probably more awareness true. now of cameras than there used to be. But yeah, I think absolutely Canellos was more than a, sim- a cute symbol. He was probably a real asset to the movement. In 2011, also in Athens, this is after the uh, EU and IMF oh. have, you know, where Greece is really in danger of defaulting on its debt. And so a really strict uh, public austerity measures are handed down to the Greek government which leads to this deserves its own omnibus because boy that was a hilarious <laughs> that was a hilarious birthday cake of of bad what ideas. a crazy thing for Angela Merkel <laughs> to start cutting Greek welfare we we love that when that happens that was nuts anyway uh, this led to massive you know the 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 cuts to social services led to again massive riots in the streets of Athens in a country with low employment everybody's got lots of time to uh, complain about the government. Yes. And photographers... One in three people is a cop. Photographers started to notice Canelos again hmm? leading the protest. Now, the problem is that Canelos had died three years earlier. But to this day, you can find photo essays from Western papers 
noting that once again, the beloved Canelos is back with the marchers. In fact, this turned out to be a different dog, Lucanikos, the Greek word for sausage, which seemed to be his nickname. I think <laughs> much like Columbus's ships, this new blonde mongrel dog was actually called Theodorus, and in some accounts may have been an offspring of Canelos, because he's also connected to Athens University culture. And Lucanikos, the sausage, appears to be even more uh, uh, <laughs> bravely leftist and even more photogenic than his predecessor. There I see are, a picture here of a, of a riot cop kicking Leonikos. Yes, there are pictures. So there's much trafficked pictures of a, cock, of a cop kicking Lucanikos and one of Lucanikos picking up a spuming tear gas canister with his mouth to move it away from his pack. In other words... The university students who are, who are protesting Nikos the austerity measures. Totally facing down a bunch of shielded riot cops and barking right at their faces. The imagery is irresistible. Wow. So you can see why. Uh, and, you know, and it crosses the lines. It, it gets you a new audience for your social movement. Right. In the, the countries that normally would not look at a photo essay of, well, guess what? They've. Taken to the streets in another in in a in Tbilisi again, you know, like the West, the the American brain soon tires of Greek students, identical looking student revolutions in places they cannot find on a map. But a handsome dog. If there's a cute um a cute blonde dog barking at every cop it sees. Well, and we also believe that dogs, or rather, when I say we, I mean those of us who call. Our dogs, our fur babies, believe in the wisdom of animals, right? Their ability to discern good from bad people right. using their, their dog telepathy. If you're sympathetic to these protesters, um, this really confirms your belief of, you know, the little guy rising up against... Yeah, the faceless man. The armor-clad policeman. And of course, that's just because of, you know, he's supporting the people who were feeding them. The police, in many places, the police have dogs. You know, right. Famously, during the American civil rights struggle. Dogs were not on the, f the side of justice in that photo it, opportunity. It was the, the tobacco-chewing sheriff and his evil deputies that was feeding the dogs best. And so... Although we cannot blame the dogs. The dogs were being sicked on who they were told to be sicked on. Yeah. And that's unfortunate. Um. So Lucanikos lived a, a long and, and famous life. Apparently in September 2011, there was a, a big protest in the streets of Athens where the police union started marching for, you know, better benefits for law enforcement. Oh, a and, police protest. And other federal riot police came to put down the police protest. And in, in What did Lucanikos do? Lucanikos <laughs> had no idea what to do. <laughs> and apparently, in the account I read, Lucanikos was confused at first, and then by looking at the situation, it was very clear which cops were closest to its pack, you know, were, were, were acting in the language of protest, and which cops were shaking sticks and throwing tear gas. And Lucanikos immediately sided with the police union marching against the riot police. So Lucanikos did not sit this one out. No. He didn't had, take a knee. Lucanikos had a heuristic that it used to determine who the less bad cops were. Wow. And uh, protested accordingly with his usual vigor, barking and, and pacing back and forth on the front lines. Uh, Lucanikos uh, lived in the home of a man who cared for him, and I guess 
passed away in May 2014 at a pretty reasonable age of about 10 years old. Although local papers reported that his years of exposure to tear gas and police kicks probably did nothing to improve his health. Um, he was beloved by this point and was buried in a, I guess, under a tree in a kind of a, a public grassy area in central Athens. So I think you can visit Lucanikos's final resting place today. At this point, we jump across the Atlantic Ocean, well, and much of Europe and the Mediterranean and South America Boing. to Chile, where you have seen the street dogs of Santiago. What, what was your experience there? When were you in Chile? Oh, let's see. Well, it would have been 2000 and what do you want? 2006, seven, something like that. And, uh, and there are street dogs all uh, over Santiago. And I found them to be at first fairly intimidating because there, there are a lot of them. But then I, then I, I interacted with them and they seemed to, at least in my experience, be mostly pretty lazy and chill. You're kind of perpetuating stereotypes about Latin America here. About street dogs in Latin America. Yeah, only the dogs. The people of Santiago are very industrious. Uh, But yeah, and I just, there was a a particular cafe uh, that I would sit at and the street dogs were kind of regulars there. They weren't like, that was what impressed me about them. They didn't come over and beg. They couldn't have been less interested in the people at the cafe. But they must know that that works. Yeah. There, there was a steady stream of, yeah, of tourists who wouldn't mind tossing a... You throw something down or, you know, but they weren't, there was no, they were not like American dogs that were needy. They were the opposite of needy. They were just like, whatever, man. I wonder if that's a side effect of not, you know, of being raised by other dogs and not by humans. You know, humans crave the, uh, the, the uh, approval of the pack and not having it from fellow dogs. They get it from the pack that you make for yourself, your human family. Yeah, it had that. It had that effect where it felt like this is a culture that's living within the city, but completely separate from hum, human culture. I mean, not that different from some of the off the grid people we've we've discussed in other entries, like Slab City. Yeah, um, but it, it, they, it they felt, formed their own community. And yeah, they feel like would a, like to be left alone. What would you? How would you describe it? Like, um, like a, almost a science fiction story where there were two separate uh species inhabiting the same city but not seeing each other mm. um right like almost almost like ghosts right i mean and that, that's that's true of how we talk about on house populations as well right you know like your eye just goes right over them and in many cases that's what both parties in the interaction want which is sad um in Chile, there was a uh, a black dog who lived near the campus, the, near the University of Santiago campus, um, that a woman named uh, Maria Campos took in because you know it's kind of the thing where you greet you, you know you you're on the same, just like seeing the same commuter on your train, you're on the same pattern as them. Right. You start to greet the dog. The dog starts to recognize you. You start to bring tidbits for the dog. The dog follows you home. The dog sleeps outside. Eventually, the dog starts sleeping at the foot of your bed. Um, so this dog who, who came to be known as this black dog starts, I'll I'll leave the name for a second. This black dog starts sleeping near the campus in the home of Senora Campos and being near the camp, the cactus, the campus, he also becomes accustomed to the students who are away from home and their own dogs. So they love having a, a mascot dog hanging around school. 
So they start giving treats to their furry friend, although he still sleeps at Compost's house. She gives him, because he's still wandering the streets during the day, but comes home at night, she gives him a, a collar with a phone number on it and a little cape. Mm. And the students, you know, recognize him now not just by his by his black fur, but by his cape. It's pretty recognizable to wear a cape. Right. And dogs with bandanas are pretty cute. Dogs with bandanas are cute, but I, I, I think if you put a cape on almost anything, it's going to stand out. In 2011, the students throughout Chile, but especially at Santiago University, uh, are not happy with Chilean education policy. And you and I, I'm sure, could talk for hours about the problems of public education in, in Chile. Mm-hmm. But they want to nationalize the public education system because uh, there's not a lot of equality or opportunity or financial aid. Um, it's actually been 1990 since a new public university has built with the result that um, most high school students don't attend public school and can't go to university. So there are large-scale protests going on about the public education crisis in Chile and Santiago. Um, Just as in Athens, police are shooting water cannons and tear-gassing big crowds of students. Now, this dog has followed his friends to the protest, and he starts seeing them threatened. So now... Again, in the papers, there are pictures of this black dog wearing a cape at the front of the marches, growling at the cops, yapping away at the cops, baring his teeth. Um, And the students say they always knew without question that he was on their side, that he could tell. Sure. He could tell his friends from from the man. He was compatible with Marxism. He was compatible with Marxism. And the students actually put a, uh, Replace his cape with a colored bandana. I think red. I don't want to. I don't want to speculate too much, but but uh, you know, a color of the left. Mm-hmm. And they rename him El Negro Matapacos, which means the black cop killer. Whoa! Now <laughs> I know. Has he, right? has he killed a cop, or he, is that a little bit of an exaggeration? He has not. Um, in fact, pa- Matapacos means it's a it's a very specific. I think a. Santiago specific pejorative for a bad cop. Oh. You know, the same way you might say pig in, in anti-establishment. So he's not a cop American killer. He's like, a, he's like a bad lieutenant. Yeah. But, but you know, uh, he's against the bad lieutenants. Like oh. he's, he's, he's a, he's a, he's a killer. I see. Uh, I see. But, but of but bad lieutenants. Paco specifically of, of dirty, bad cops. I see. Um, of, of violent cops. So it's not quite as inflammatory as it would be in America to be like, yeah, I named my dog Black Cop Killer. <laughs> that would be that would be inflammatory. So every day, Campos, um, you know, and and so he starts to appear on the news, and Maria Campos sees her celebrity dog on TV, and she knows that every day where he's going, every day she opens, you know, at night he's if he, if he hears chanting, he gets he's by the front door like. Got to go out, got to go out, got to go out. Really? This is his big thing. Like a dog who needs to pee. And she, every morning, gives him his kiss, does the sign of the cross on him, apparently an observant Catholic, and lets him out. And he makes a beeline for wherever uh, the street protests are that day. And every night, he comes back from direct action, uh, drenched from water cannons, and she dries him off and puts him to bed. And then he it's back to work the next day. He was a tireless agent for educational reform in Chile. Wow. Uh he died in 2017, after which he gained his greatest fame. P- 
pictures. Um, he starts to appear on protester signs, on murals. Because he's a, a black dog with a red bandana. Did they make him into a Che Guevara uh, t-shirt? It really lends itself to that kind of um, street art and iconography. Whoa. So he starts to appear on stickers and posters and murals as a symbol of putting down the man. And this spreads to other continents. In New York City, in 2019, a couple years after uh, El Negro Matapacos' death, during a um, there were some protests in New York that summer based on, uh, I think there was video of MTA cops, uh, what, pulling their guns on a kid who had jumped a turnstile. Right. Uh, so there became all these um, protests of sympathy with Theravading on the New York City subway. And so stickers of El Negro Matapaco start to appear all over the New York City subway with a sign that says evade. He became a symbol for subway Theravasion <laughs> in Manhattan <laughs> and uh, all over the world. Like when when there are protests all over the uh, somewhere in the world now, youth protests, it's become customary to put a red bandana on the statue of Hachiko that, uh, that uh, stands outside Shibuya Station in Japan, if you remember this I earlier do. omnibus entry. He gets a red bandana now, too. In sympathy with El Negro Matapacos, and by extension, good left-leaning dogs worldwide. <laughs> <laughs> the second Chilean dog, we have a new Chilean uh, riot dog who has taken on the mantle after El Negro Matapacos' death. In the northern port city of Antofagasta, I don't know if you know it, I do not. I have not been there, no. Uh, there, there has been a, uh, also in 2019, there were protests about, um, this happened in Hong Kong as well. Often city protests will happen when, uh, transit fares go up. Right. There, apparently there was a big jump in metro and bus fares in Antofagasta. And so students and working people hit the streets in protest for a few days during these marches, hundreds of stray dogs would join the protesters because, again, something to do for these dogs. Yep. It's pretty boring being a street dog, really, most of the time. But one has become more famous than any of them just because he's very, very photogenic. He's he's a street dog with white, with he's white with black spots. So they call him El Baquita, the little cow, because mm-hmm. he kind of looks like a, a Holstein or whatever. He's got a, he's got a kind of a... He's got kind of a cheeky tail that's often in the air and wagging as he does what all these riot dogs do, you know, weave through lines of protesters to get to the front of the, of the march where he can bark at the cops and, uh, and try to protect his pack from the, the tear gas and the cannons. El Baquita has a very friendly face. Yes. I mean, I don't want to, I hate to be lookist about this, but it is often the best looking street dogs that become stickers and murals and not the tumory ones. And yet I gotta say, El Baquita is El Chonco. Yes. I was going to say that as well. He's a very well-fed street <laughs> dog. And I wonder if some of that is following his celebrity. Yeah, might maybe. But he's, he's pudgier than your average. Yeah. He's, uh, he's thick with two C's. You're not seeing any ribs on this dog. No. Uh, and he's become a local icon. He won the city's 2019 Character of the Year Award, in which Antofagasta voted for the the leading Antofagastan of the year. Hmm. And he beat all the human comers, including uh, the pride of of Antofagasta, Victor Coyao, uh, Chile's great karate champion, celebrity karate champion. No, on, finished on the, second to a cow-colored dog. On the one hand, you want to say like, yay for the dog. But on the other hand, you know, there are real people vying for this trophy. 
that it's going to go up on their mantle of you know the the other things like your like your trophy. Is this like when Bob case? Dylan won the Nobel Prize and all the yeah. and all these real voices of protest in Morocco and and China were like, hey. Yeah. We're, we're doing art. He doesn't even want it. Dylan's fine. He doesn't even know what it is. That guy hasn't had a motorcycle crash in 45 <laughs> years. Um, but El Vaquita is now the icon of Antofagasta. You know, when he get to, when he takes a rubber bullet, um, protesters take him to the vet. When he gets lost and can't get back to his part of town, because, you know, he'll show up no matter where the protests are. <laughs> um, you know, networks of... Uh, of uh, online protesters will kind like of ar- where's where's uh, Bakita? Yes, will arrange to get him back to his uh, to where the alleys where he likes to spend the night in his part of town. So there's a whole community around these symbolic dogs now, and like I say, it brings it brings awareness to what would have been kind of local causes and, and keeps them on keeps them on front pages and getting internet clicks. See, this is one thing that the Spare New to Your Pets program has deprived Seattle of, which is, uh, think about how all of our protests would have been so much more... Our protests turn unlikable the longer they go as, yeah. the, as, the, as the weirdo black block guys get into town and commandeer them. Because we don't have a photogenic, chunky dog that is at the on the front lines. If we had a fun Antifa dog with fun spots, yeah, uh, and, a, and a Johnny Bandana or Cape, even better. I feel like the wrong elements would not be the ones on the front lines, and and you would really not be able to gin up all this, um, all this kind of fear of uh, you know all this scaremongering around the Port- Portland anarchists around the Portland anarchists. Instead, if they all were if they all were given treats to cute dogs the whole time, yeah, we'd seem like a bunch of harmless Greek students. But the problem is in Portland, everybody's out with their weird pet. Everybody's got a cockatoo on their shoulder. Oh my god! And nobody wants a riot cockatoo. And that concludes Riot Dogs, entry one zero seven five dot mk zero seven two eight, certificate number five three two two nine, in the omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, it almost certainly has been taken over by just Instagram selfies of tourists with riot dogs. Right? Why is that? Why have I not? Yeah, what if there's now 10 riot dogs for every human protester in the future? It's, it's the dogs who care. The thing is, we're not, you're not really on Instagram, are you? No. And you don't spend any of your time on, on uh, protest Twitter. Or I'm guessing very little, because you only respond to people with blue check marks. Well, I see protest Twitter, but I'm not like mixing it up. But I'm, I'm, not, you... I'm not sending like a, a, a fist emoji to <laughs> to the people of uh, of uh, Azerbaijan or whatever. I bet you there's a whole corner of the internet dedicated just to people taking pictures of themselves with protest dogs. Hashtag protest dog. I mean, for sure, much of the internet is now people making sure they get good photos of themselves as protests. Like yes. this is this is bright dogs are just a symptom of the broader. Let me make sure I have my my funny sign for the protests because I might go viral. Futurelings, I would like to encourage you if you are on social media to try and get the hashtag protest dog trending after this episode comes out. Let's see how. I mean, you can put basically anything up there. Hashtag protest dog. 
I guess we called the show Riot Dogs, and that's... Oh, Riot but, Dogs, even better. But we're kind of... That's kind of adopting the language of the oppressor to say that... Oh, right. It's so not all, a riot. It's these, a protest. They're uprisings. These aren't riots. So, uh, hashtag protest dog. Try and get it out. Even if it's just a picture, a selfie with you, of you and your and your purse dog, just tag it, hashtag protest dogs, and let's see if we can get this going. You got to do what it takes to make your little chihuahua or Havanese look extremely... Antifa. Put a red bandana on them and and, and put, get, take a print out a picture of some riot cops. Put a little put a little <laughs> chase shirt on your dog. Uh, you can, uh, but not you, one of those pussy hats. Dogs would hate. Dogs would hate them. Right, but a cat, you might be able to. I mean, I think there's a reason why you don't see cats at these protests. Yeah, right. Cats, cats are like uh, cats are pro cop. No, nope. is why <laughs> cats are pro. Um, you can uh, you can. Uh, Tweet these things to Ken at Ken Jennings and to me, Ghost John at John Roderick. You can email us pictures of your protest dogs, hashtag protest dogs at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. You can share those pictures and all of your protest dog experiences with other futurelings on social media, wherever futurelings are found. You can mail us. Real live things. This came all the way from Australia, for example. The package I'm opening now, which means the postage must have cost an order of magnitude more than the contents. Well, then let's make the gag worth the investment. Owen sent us a book that he bought in his 20s when he thought this would be the new shape of his life. And in fact, now he's 42 years old, living in Australia, and feels like he has missed his chance. So he wants us to have his copy of Duffy Little John's Hopping Freight Trains in America. Oh, the wonderful Duffy Little John tome. I guess Owen never rode the rails. Are you familiar with this book? Uh, it kind of has a self-published vibe. Yeah, I've never owned it, but I've seen it. It seems to have plenty of um, practical advice. Chapter titles include, How do I find a freight yard and get into it? Yep. That classic question we've all had. Look for the trains. Chapter <laughs> Chapter 14, over the road do's and don'ts. One of the ways uh, one of the things that make trains easy to find is that they they actually have uh, tracks. You can follow the tracks. And the puffs of smoke that go choo 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 choo. Uh-huh, uh-huh. If you see puffs of smoke getting gradually Ooh. smaller. Uh, I don't know why this is in chapter 18. How do I get off a freight train? Oh boy. Maybe you want to put that earlier in the book. <laughs> no, no, no. No, no, no. Read the book from cover to cover. But do you do you feel like you should hop on the train and then read chapter 18? Well, hop on the train during the chapter that says how to hop on a freight train and then keep reading. Common misconceptions here from chapter 21. First, but don't just bums ride freight trains? No. That is correct. But isn't riding the rails just for guys? No. Also correct. But won't I get mugged? Half a 50 50 chance. Yeah, this one, this is the first one that does not begin. No, <laughs> this one's like, well, it sort of depends. Most professional hobos stick to themselves or only congregate with people they know. True, except for the creeps. But won't I die from the heat or cold? No, not if you're prepared in advance. Bring a sleeping bag slash bottle of water. How about this one? But isn't it illegal? Yes. Friends, it most assuredly <laughs> is. This is not a misconception. I know all these answers. This should not be in the common misconceptions <laughs> chapter then. But this is very interesting. If uh, What follows is an appendix. Oh, it's a list of all the towns where you can catch a freight train. Uh, the answer is any town with a train going uh, through it. Yes. Here in the state of Washington, it's an extremely long list. 
Uh, the the uh, let me just recommend that um, or just remind our listeners that the Yardley Yard in Spokane is a very dangerous place. Stay out of there. Um. Oh, you know what? There's some text missing here, so we don't have all the Eastern Washington train yards. Uh, we're actually missing stuff between the end of the Virginia entry and the beginning of the. Wait, you mean a, a page got ripped out? Well, no, but just some text appears to have been missing in the manuscript here. It's a, it's a lacuna. Oh. Uh, it does say that in Seattle, it, rec- it lists these these yards. 23rd Street, Balmer, Interbay, Garfield Street, North Portal, King Street Station, Whatcom Yards. Can confirm. I can't imagine. Wh- where would you hop a freight train in Seattle? Interbay? Uh, no. Well, n- Interbay, if you're headed north... Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you can get down to the tracks around the, sort of right right around the Costco, uh, oh, headed yeah. south. Um, and I've actually jumped a train there, uh, but it was a bad idea. It was ill-advised. I mean, I think now at your age, maybe you should just go to Costco uh, if you're I, down there. I came to that same conclusion at a certain point, and it was a lot younger than I am now. That I, I And it was, it was actually this occurrence. I jumped on a train as a, as a, as a gag. Uh, in Georgetown, and I was, I was suddenly struck by the fact that, no, 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 no. And you're like, you know what? If I want to take a little trip, what if I get some cheap Costco gas take and take a little trip and hop in my automobile? It was just, you know, when I was young, I, I didn't have any fear, and now I have a lot of fear. Your your back legs are going to be in one of those little wheelchair things soon. Uh, oh. Anyway, if you want to mail us uh, other books about hopping freights, that's at P.O. Box 55744 Shoreline, Washington, 98155 USA. Thank you, Owen. And Owen. if you would like to support the show to uh, make it so that I never have to hop freights again. Your your Patreon donation keeps John <laughs> off the away from the hobo yards. I'm always one month away from one having month away to from the hobo jungle. ride the rods. Uh, your generous donation at patreon.com slash omnibus projects, omnibus project singular helps us, um, well, helps me help, help my hamburger helps me make a great meal. It helps John's hamburger help him make a great meal. You, uh, wait, actually is hamburger helper the thing you eat when you're not getting enough Patreon donations or the things you eat when you, when, when you are getting enough Patreon donations? I have donations? to admit that I have not eaten hamburger helper since the 1970s. I haven't either. I don't even remember. Is it good? It must be. I remember a lot of it being based on those um, dehydrated potato slices oh. that, that also show up in those scallop potato mixes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as a kid, I was like, sure, like reconstitute me some potatoes, mom. Ham- Today, I wonder if I would have texture issues. I just, I mean, hamburger helper. Or does it it's need pasta based. does does hamburger need help? Well, it's it's just it's the carb, it's the rice or the uh, the the noodles that your hamburger will float in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, it it's, it's it, you got the hamburger, it's got the bang bang. I get it, I get it now. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long this our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. But if the worst comes soon, if, if the stray dogs take over all our cities, take over the wreckage of all our cities, then this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.